Good morning. It's good to be back with you again at Shenandoah last Sunday. This morning, I'd like you to uh, take a moment and think about your character. I'm just looking around. I, I know most of you here. Just think about your character. Think about who you truly are. Okay? According to D.L. Moody, character is who you are in the dark. So D.L. Moody says character is who you are when no one's looking or thinking about or watching. If someone would ask your family or your friends about your character, what would they say? I see nobody cringing, which is good. uh, Dan B. Allender, I quote, The word character in the Greek was originally used in connection with tools designed for engraving. That's a new thought for me. You don't think about character, about tools designed for engraving. And character, indeed, is a tool that marks us. One, in, in a sense, cuts us, shapes us, and engraves us. And that's where you get what you see. That's our character. He continues, we are image bearers who are intended by God to make him known in a fashion that no one else on earth can do in the same way, end quote. So what we just looked at there is that you and I are image bearers, are we? Does your image, does my image reflect God's image? We're created in the image of God, are we reflecting his image? So yes, we are headed back to Colossians this morning. Uh, we're going to see a, a clear picture of who we are to be in Christ. So this morning's kind of little, maybe call this a little school lesson. You can take what you're looking at this morning and throughout the, the message just say, is, does the words in Colossians describe my character, who we are? First of all, we're going to see, in order to be complete in Christ, we, there are some things we need to put away. Get rid of. And later we're going to see a list of things that if we want to be complete in Christ, things that we need to to put on. Character qualities that that we need to possess, that need to be said about us. Character qualities that put a smile on our face. So back again, character. Who are you and what are your true colors? Colossians 1. Let's do a little bit of a, a background. Go back to the first chapter. And thinking about our character, thinking about your character, and ask yourself the question, am I describing you? As we go through a few things here, can this be said about you? Are these your character traits? Chapter two, chapter one, verse two, faithful brethren. We had a good Sunday school lesson this morning, the faithfulness and uh, dedication, commitment of that Shunammite woman, but can it be said about you? Yes, put your name in there, is a faithful brother or sister. Are you faithful? Chapter 1, verse 2. Verse 10. Are you walking worthy of the Lord? So I would ask your friend, hey, what about so-and-so? Well, they're walking worthy of the Lord. Would that be said about you? Moving on. Uh, Verse 23. Grounded and settled in the faith. Yeah, there's one thing about he or she is grounded and settled in the faith. Uh, Verse 28, perfect in Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 2, hearts knit together in love. Can that be said about the character of our church? 
chapter 2, verse 5, having a steadfast faith in Christ. Verse 6, walking with the Lord. If you remember the message on verse 7, can this be said about you? Rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, and abounding with thanksgiving. Verse 10, complete in him. Verse 12, buried and risen with him, dead in your sins in verse 13. Verse 20, we see dead with Christ. Then jump into chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If you then be risen with Christ, is this you? Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory. And we get to the end of verse 4 there in chapter 3. And we're ready to meet the Lord in the air and to dwell with him in eternity. But Paul, that's not the end of the Colossian letter. We're not quite finished. Uh, The title of the message this morning is Christ-like character. Christ-like character. Point number one is simply cast off. Cast off. Let's read verses 5, 6, and 7. Colossians 3, verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, Cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. Here we see Paul is emphasizing the necessity that we need to turn away from the old life and embrace the new life in Christ. Turn away from the old and embrace the new. And what he is illustrating here is a spiritual transformation by comparing a person who is discarding his filthy clothing, namely his sinful ways, and putting on clean clothing, which is obedience to Christ and living in a righteous life. What we need to come to grips with is our responsibility... To acknowledge the authority of Christ over every characteristic in our lives. So back up to the beginning of the message. I'm going to ask you to look at your character. Is Christ the authority over every one of those characteristics that could be said about you? Are we surrendered to Christ? Have we given him our all? Are we walking with him and reflecting his image? And maybe it's easier to do it on a Sunday morning, but we're talking every day of our lives. Are we reflecting the image of Christ? Does he have full and complete authority over our characteristics? And it points out some things that we need uh, to work on or to do so that we can have that complete surrender to Christ. So it's not simply to sing the song in our songbooks, I Surrender All, which is a start, but it's to live in full reality that we are surrendered to our Lord and Master. Is there anything in your life or in my life this morning that I have a small section I say, Lord, you can have everything else, but let this go. This is mine. Are we like that, or have we completely surrendered our all to God? How does this happen? How does complete surrender come? Look at verse 5. Mortify. Not a word we use a whole lot, but to mortify is to put to death. Put to death your earthly desires. And then Paul names out five sins of the flesh, all related to sexual impurity, in deed, in thought, and in desire. And he names them 
quite clearly there in verse 5. So this is the action of putting to death. It's a continuous action, one that needs to be done day by day, not just once and done. It's referring to the decision that, and the ability to say no even we, when we are inten- intensely tempted. Temptations will come. Temptations will abound. Can we say no? Can we make the correct decision as we think about our character in Christ? The first one he lists here is fornication. speaks of sexual relations by an unmarried person. The note this morning is to cast it off. And look at the result there in verse 6. The wrath of God will be leveled upon those who indulge in the things that we see in verse 5. <clears throat> According to the book of Jude, Jude, a widespread fornication was one of the reasons that God rained fire and brimstone down on Sodom and Gomorrah. Let this sin cannot be named among you. God's desire, God's standard for sexual conduct is absence before marriage and loyalty after marriage. Fornication is something to mortify or put to death. Galatians 5.24, and they that are Christ, if again you're in Christ, you have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. And that falls into what he lists here in verse 5. Put this sin to death. The second one, uncleanness. Referring to a, a dirty mind. Thoughts and desires that are unclean. Unclean, uh, uncleanness is marked by uh, perverted fantasies. Fed with filthy magazines. Ungodly literature. And movies that promote lust and immodesty. We can't go there. Put to death. Mortify these things that he's talking about. An unclean lifestyle will leave you with the feeling of exactly that, of being unclean. Inordinate affection, uncontrolled perverted passion. Another, uh, also a person with a dirty perverted mind carries the thought of desire and craving for the wrong things, including too much food, alcohol, drugs, along with sexual sins. He goes on to another one there, evil concupiscence, strong sexual lust, evil desire, a yearning and aching for all kinds of evil, which we can easily understand why he's saying we need to put this away. We can't have this named among us. And Paul's is uh, telling us we need to trample these under our feet. I'd like to bring in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, kind of clarifies a lot. Abstain from the all appearance of evil. So not only do we indulge in such, we even the appearance of it, we stay away. The question could be asked, I got it, but what should I fill my minds with? Go to Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. Think on those things, not the things that we see here listed in verse 5. Covetousness, an undue desire to have and get more. A desire for something that's not our own. A desire that leads to idolatry. A desire for something we should not have, something we're not allowed to have. A desire that does not please God. A desire that if it's fed will lead to spiritual death, separation from God, and utter destruction. Brothers and sisters, mortify, verse 5. Put to death the sin and evil listed in verse 5. And Paul gives us two strong reasons why. And the first one we see there in verse 6, it will bring the wrath of God upon man. 
Now, we're going to look at wrath here a little bit later, but wrath, as, as used here, uh, means anger, and not an outburst of anger, rather a decisive and deliberate anger. We're talking here about the wrath of God. It's an anger that will judge and condemn sin and evil. It's an anger that hates sin and evil, and one that will bring just bring uh, just revenge and equal punishment. We cannot look at verse 5 and say, I can do this and get by because the wrath of God will be leveled upon us. And the five things that we see listed in verse 5, or the sins listed in verse 5, are examples of wickedness that will draw the wrath of God the same way steel will draw lightning. It's attracted to it. We commit sins in verse 5, Prepare yourself. The wrath of God will be leveled upon you. And the wrath we see in verse, in verse 6 is the wrath that man is to fear. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. We need to walk and live a pure life. We need to abstain from and mortify verse 5. And the second reason that we see uh, Paul has given us that we need to mortify this is in verse 7, is that the sins that are listed there is sins that may have been uh, common to our old life. Okay, the, the Christian life is a life of progress. We are not who we used to be. When we, before, when we met Christ, our lives have changed. We put off the old man with his deeds and we have put on Christ. So old and new, off and on. Remember your life. Don't spend a lot of time doing this, but remember who you were before you met Christ and focus on who you are now. You are a different person. He, Christ made a change in the way that we are living. We have crucified the old man back in that day when we, became, we repented of our sins and put on the new man, put on Jesus Christ who now dwells within Jesus saved us from the wrath, from the sins that will bring the wrath of God upon us. So to turn back and go back to verse 5, and the sins there will be to deny Christ, a direction we dare not go. The casting off um, we are looking at continues in verse 8. Let continue in verse, and read verse 8 and 9. But now you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds. So he moves from verses uh, 5, 6, and 7 into 8 and 9. So here we're not so looking so much as the gross sins of the flesh, but instead the more subtle, uh, sinful tendencies of the spirit. How we are just have that direction to go there. We've got to stay away from that. And remember, we're look, taking a close look at our character. Is there something listed in verses 8 and 9 that we need to address? Back in verse 5, we saw the action needs to be taken is to mortify. Here in verse 8, we see put off. And what we see here is a picture of putting off or stripping off clothing. Stripping off the sins that enslave the emotions and the tongue. Uh, think about our tongue for a second. What does James uh, 3, 6 tell us? Our tongue is a what? A fire. A world of iniquity. Defileth the whole body. Set off on fire the course of nature. And that's the sins that we're looking here in verse 8. But it's an interesting the way Paul uh, jumps into verse 8. Now you also have put off all of these. It's kind of like he's speaking. This has already happened. 
You go back up to verse 3, yeah, we're, we're dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. That's where we are. So hopefully what we see in verses 8 and 9 have already been uh, taken care of. But the six sins mes- mentioned in verses 8 and 9 all have to do with our reactions and our feelings towards another person. Is there anything there you see in verse 8 and 9, feelings that you have towards someone else? Let's look at these carefully and quickly. Anger, a soldering, smoldering resentment, a deep-seated ill will, a clear display of a bad temper. Did you ever hear someone say about someone else, they make me so angry. Well, the, the subtle truth is no one can make you angry. To get angry is a choice that you make on your own. We probably all used that phrase already, but that's a, something that we, we, a choice that we make. We, use, we decide on our own to use anger as a response to what we are facing. To say someone makes us angry is a feeble attempt to push the blame on someone else for our own bad decision. So be careful with that, with that comment. To, anger is something that we have to make on our own. Wrath, speaking of storms of uncontrolled uh, temper. Here we have an outburst that causes someone to blow up for a short period of time. Wrath is a reaction to a situation that quickly causes one to come to their, their boiling point, so to speak, and explode, while anger can simmer for days. But both, as we see here, need to be removed from our character. May no one say about you, well, that she is an angry person or he is an angry man. Put these off. Mortify these sins. Malice, not a a word we use regularly. Speaking about deep-seated feelings against another person. Hatred that lasts on and on. Intense and long-lasting bitterness against a person. It also comes with that in nature that's focused on doing harm towards others. Harboring resentment and holding grudges for years is, is a, term, a definition for malice. And there's a possibility that someone here this morning has been wronged by somebody else. And, and maybe that's you, but I got a question. Does that give us the license to allow bitterness and hatred to grow within? So he or she wronged me, so I had the right. Do you really? Is there ever a, do we ever have the right to justify malice? And maybe we need to pause just a second and be reminded that the sin that we see that we're talking about in these verses here, they will not be in heaven. You're not going to have these sins listed here and say, well, uh, right before I die, I'll confess this and I'm, I'm all good. It doesn't work that way. We need to put these things to death. Put these off today. Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So we look at that and we say, common sense tells us it's possible, but the, the weight lies on our shoulders. As much as lieth within me, Leon, live peaceably with all. So our, we're called here to strive for peace. A wise man once said, relationships are like a thread, easy to tear and hard to repair. How true it is. But we need to live peaceably as, with all people as much as possible. Blasphemy. 
the speech that slanders, usually against God, to speak disrespectfully and irreverently about divine things. That word's used different times in the Bible. To take God's name in vain, we've probably all heard it, and it hurts to hear when people do so, but that cannot be named among us. Filthy communication, referring to low, obscene, dirty talk, abusive language, indecent stories, off-color jokes with suggestive intent. Put this off just like you take off a dirt, dirty garment. Get rid of, the, of such. Cleanse your tongue. Cleanse your speech and your character. Verse 9, lie not one to another. Lying is any untrue statement is a lie. Any action intended to give incorrect impression is a lie. And lying is the in, <clears throat> intent to deceive. And you think, well, lying, that's kind of a... On the list of sins that you're looking at here, it's kind of on the, on the smaller side. Not that we list sins in order of importance, but Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters. And you say, wow, that's some strong stuff. But the, the next three words in, in that uh, verse, and all, <clears throat> and all liars. So well, I'm not a... I'm not a, uh, a murderer and a whoremonger, but it says, and all liars, and the result or the end, uh, the outcome of all is the same. Shall have, the verse continues, shall have their part in the lake with furnace, with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Put off, verse 8, verse 9, put these things off. We need to keep them off and have victory over our life. On this side of eternity is too short to allow wickedness to fester within. Our life on this side of eternity is too short to be involved in anything that we looked at in verses 5 through 8 through 9. <clears throat> then Paul gives us a reason why we are to strip off the, uh, the sins and the emotions of the tongue. And the first thing we see here, because we have put off the old man. Kind of goes back to what we, see back, what we saw back in verse 8. Verse 7, but we have, we have put off the old man. And the old man describes a term that we inherited from Adam. Our former conduct, our sin nature, the person we were before we met Christ. Old man, old life, old nature. And we can maybe refer to as the embarrassing time of our life that we do not wish to discuss. That we're taking out with the old. Then the lifestyle, the new lifestyle has been put on. We're a different person. We're not going to serve two masters, but live a new life with Christ. So there we see a bunch cast off, get rid of, some filthy stuff we don't want to get involved with, put it off, mortify it. Then what happens? Point number two, clothed with Christ-like garments. Let's read verses 10 through 12. Verse 10, and now... And have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Finally, we get to verse 10, we're ready to dress up again. 
We have cast off our filthy garments, ready for the next step. That is to put on the new man. The new man is a regenerated, renewed, born again, one who has become spiritually minded. It is a man who is in fellowship with God. A man who is obedient to God's will and devoted to God's service. Now I'm a little more excited. I hope I'm describing your character. Are you a man of God? in fellowship with him, obedient with him, and devoted to God to his service. Is this is describing you? The new man is referring to our, our new life in Christ, our new nature, our, our life that is going to reflect the image of God in true holiness and righteousness. And now I think I'm talking to people here this morning. Okay, for, just for a second, picture a, a sad, dirty, poorly dressed man, homeless man, walking along the street in an absolute, what we would call, state of filth. Along comes a kind heart, takes him in, gives him a haircut, shave, shower, nice set of clothing, new shoes and socks, and a good-paying job. Many people would not even recognize this man as the homeless beggar, but rather a new man with a new purpose in life. And the question is, is it any different for the sinner when he finds the Lord Jesus Christ. The change that has taken place. We see a new man, new desire, new image, new character, new step, new goals, new desires, and one who is in love with the Lord. And we can all go back and we can remember that stake that we put in the ground when that happened in our lives. We became a new person. The old man is put away. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to focus on the new man. Who are we in Christ? Verse 11 he is a new man without racism. Uh, here we see we're bond together in Christ. Old barriers and distinctions between other, other people will disappear. We will not look down on certain people groups. He, he uh, gives us a list in verse 11. The barbarians were foreigners who couldn't speak the local language. A Scythian was a term for the lowest savages, those who were given to violence and bloodshed. Uh, the bond or the slaves used to assign to one who was, wasn't even classed as a human being, placed at the bottom of the list of all. And, but, but Paul's saying there is neither, there's none of this anymore. So there were many lower classes of people, according to verse 11. But this morning, Paul's encouragement to us is to do away with the different classes and remember that in Christ, there is no respect of persons. Rather what? We are to possess a Christ-like character. Christ is all-sufficient. He is our all-sufficient Savior, and he is equally available to all people regardless of their status in life. A right relationship with our Heavenly Father through faith in Jesus Christ is the only solution to a world that's full of social problems. And that's where I think we need to be. We need to have a right relationship with God and a deep faith through Jesus Christ. And then we can go forth in our life and be the people that Christ has called us to be. The sad truth is that in about every country, there are uh, people with a different ethnic background are looked down upon. It's been said in Kenya, you have the Massey Indians. In Iraq, you have the Kurds. And even in the Bible times, as we can read about, who were the people looked down upon? The Samaritans. But Paul is telling us, not any longer. This distinction, this racism, this thing has been removed. In Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew. Meaning there is no difference uh, in, in people groups because the Lord has removed that distinction. 
we are a new man and new person in Christ, and we do, and our life begins with Christ. And then we're going to see some character traits that we see listed here. I read verse 12 because of time. We're not going to go any further, but if you look at verses 12 through 17, this describes who you are supposed to be. I read verse 12 and verse 13. We're supposed to be a forbearing people, a forgiving people. We're supposed to put on charity in verse 14. We're let the peace of God rule in our hearts. We're supposed to be thankful. Look at verse 17. Whatever you do, indeed, in or in the name, of, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. This kind of takes our character to a new level. Who we are supposed to be. But verse 12, we got a couple here. Uh, I think when we put on Christ, these character traits are going to follow. And you glance over those verses there. Are you able to see yourself described? If we go back to what I asked, a question I asked early on, if I would ask your friends or your family about you, would they say, well, if you want to know about him, go to Colossians 3, look at verses 12 through 17. That describes so-and-so. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Or is there areas that we need to work on? To be clothed in Christ includes to put on. The first one we see here is the garment of mercy. Put on, therefore, bowels of mercy. Described as compassion, pity, and tenderheartedness. Here again, we're describing us. And I trust we are. Now we're starting to put back on some garments. A sympathetic heart that, feel, that, has, that feels the need of others. One who has who try to understand the feelings of others who experience pain, those who are lonely and those who have tried and failed. Mercy carries the art of entering into the feelings of others. And yeah, I understand we live in a, a fast-paced society, and many times it feels like we are missing this garment. But we need to be clothed with mercy. We need to be sensitive to the feelings of others. It needs to be Jesus first, ourself last, and others in between. It's not all about me, but rather the needs of others. Have you put on the garment of mercy? Secondly, how about the garment of kindness? And here we see the attitude of being generous and, and thoughtful towards others. Referring to the unselfish act, the encouraging words, the common laws of politeness. Are we known as a people who are, are, have, have the garment of kindness? An unknown writer once said, I expect to pass through this life but once. If therefore there be any kindness I can show or any good thing I can do to any fellow being, let me do it now for I shall not pass this way again. I think it's a quote we all heard before, but certainly a statement worth remembering as we go forth with the garment of kindness. Harum Kushal said, Kindness is a cordial, loving disposition which knows no harshness. Quite a comment. Knows no harshness. Kind of strikes home. And we think about... Uh, the garment of kindness, you know, we, we cannot do much about our outward appearance, the way God created us, but we can control the attractiveness of our character. And are we clothed with the garment of kindness? Are we clothed with the garment of kindness? How about moving on to the third one, the garment of humility, defined as a, a modest opinion of oneself. Humility is a direct opposite of 
pride, arrogance, and conceit? Are we known to be a humble people? 1 Peter 5, 5, at the end of the verse, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Would your family say, well, dad's a humble person. Ever been around a proud person? It makes you long for your humble friends. And it's not trying to place these character traits in order of importance, but I believe humility is a key ingredient in the life of the child of God. God will give grace to the humble. God delights to see his children serve without any desire for recognition. I will do that and not expect it in return. I'll serve behind the scenes, so to speak. Be clothed with humility. Number four, the garment of meekness or gentleness. Meekness means submission to God. Along with humility, meekness is a spirit within that looks to God and calmly speaks and says, you know, here I am, God. Use me to work in your kingdom. Here I am, God. Use me as you see fit to build your church. Meekness will accept God's will without resistance. Broad definition, but narrow it down. It's a quiet submission that does not insist on our own rights. Will your friend say, yep, he is a meek person. Along with that, meekness does not mean weakness but rather a willingness to lay down one's life at the feet of God and allow him to be in control. What about the character trait of Moses? Moses was meek. How about Jesus? Jesus was meek. What are you and I? Image bearers. Christians, church, were called to be meek. Here I am, Lord. Use me. What do we see next? The garment of long-suffering. And just pause for a moment and ponder the meaning of some of these words and it makes kind of makes us stop in our tracks and ask how are we able to acquire this kind of character and for for many some of this what we're reading here comes naturally for others it doesn't needs a lot of work but we go back to chapter we're in verse we're in chapter three go back to verse three you are dead and your life is hid with christ in god our life we are who we are in Christ. We cannot attain or reach this level of character on our own strength. We can't say, well, tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up, I'm going to be meek. That doesn't work that way. We are far too weak and feeble to reach uh, what we see here without Christ. But the main point is that we need to remember that we can achieve and we are complete. Where? In Christ. So allow him to rule and reign in your heart and you will can be this kind of person. You want to put on a Christ-like character? you got to let Christ work and dwell within and live it out in word and deed. Christ was meek. We are called to be meek. We are who we are because Christ lives within, not because of how hard we labor to gain. We can't leave here this morning and say, yeah, I'm a humble person because we're right there ready, you're proud. But we can't say I'm a so-and-so person because of what I did. It doesn't work that way. We are who we are because of Christ. So the garment of... uh, the last one in verse 12, the garment of long-suffering refers to uh, is a spirit that does not allow us to lose our patience with others. We're called to ex- exhibit a spirit of patience, no matter how difficult people may be. And uh, just like that, your mind thought back on the past week. And yeah, 
stories and things come up. We're, put, we're called to be long-suffering on the road, in the grocery store, at work, at school, here at church. We're to be long-suffering and patient, patient with each other. The child of God needs to guard how we deal with what people say that annoy us. If people annoy us, how are we going to respond? Are we known to respond with a Christ-like character? Do you have any work to do this week as we look at a, a few verses here? Anything we need to change or work on? In review, cast off the sin in verses 5, 8, and 9. So if you look at those, cast them off. Burn those filthy garments. Put on the garments of Christ-like character that you see in verse 12, and which uh, Lord William you plan to look at later in verses 13 through 17. Put those on and put a smile on the face of God. I repeat, what we need to come to grips with is our responsibility to acknowledge the authority of Christ over every characteristic in our lives. And no, may I add, it's not that we got to go through life and say, well, at least my friends speak good about me. It's not that. It's Christ-like character. What does God see when he looks down upon you and I? What does he see when he watches over us? Did you ever get to the end of something and you just think, you know what, I, I, missed, I must have missed a page somewhere, which is all right. I think we're going to go back and find it. But we need to look at others as Christ looks at others. I said you created an image of Christ. I'm creating the image of Christ. He is. But the people out there that pick up someone that annoys you, Christ created them as well. So look at them through the eyes of Christ as Christ would look at them. Treat them as Christ would treat them. And treat them as you would like to be treated as well. But it's been, a, been quite a challenge for, for, for my life as well as we go through and we kind of, we are who we are, but that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't hold any water. We are who we are because of Christ. We need to be willing to change to become more Christ-like because of Christ who lives within. Allow him to change you from the inside out. Press forward, brothers. Press forward, sister. There's time yet to change if there's sin in your life. Confess, repent. And your character, there's time to change that. Be the person Christ wants you to be. Not trying to impress others, but preparing for eternity, laying up treasures in heaven where we will dwell with him forever. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we come before you here this morning to say thank you, God, for what we can look at here in your word. And I pray that each one here can have that desire, Lord, that desire within just to let our light shine for you. I pray that we can all possess that Christ-like character and that we can be uh, resemble you in each and every way. May our lives mirror your image, God. May we put on the garments that we looked at there in verse 12. And I trust we, can, we have already mortified and cast off those in verses 5, 8, and 9. Lord, I pray that there could be no evil among us, no sin in our camp, but we could be serving you uh, in a full surrendered way. Lord, tomorrow, this afternoon, tomorrow as we go forth, may we remember the garments that we are to put on when we're on the road, when we're in the grocery store, school, work, wherever we are at, remember, I can't do or think or say that because Christ dwells within. I need to respond in a Christ-like way. Lord, may we be just people who are, have clean garments, pressing forward, letting our light shine, and revealing to the lost world that Christ is alive in our hearts.
Thank you for this time of study. Give us wisdom and direction to go forth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.